Hello there, welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. My name is Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Worm Harvester. Ha. Uh, my name is J-Wall. You know me as Justin. It's also J-Wall. It's regular today. Uh, how are my friends doing tonight? Yeah, drywall over here. This guy. The I love that. Oh, construction God. phenom right here. Come on. I'm I hot tonight, it. guys. Hot. Wow. Hot. How have we missed that? It's Memorial Day weekend. I don't have a date, but that's it's not because COVID related. It's just because I never have a date for any holidays or anything. Everybody's inside drinking beer and listening to metal spending Memorial Day like I normally would. Right. So it is what it is. Uh, Tom, how are you? I'm doing very well. Got some sun outside today. I um, Poser. Yeah, I, I did a little help. <laughs> well, I, I'm definitely not cult enough, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, look at me. I'm wearing, I'm wearing a shrimp cocktail print Hawaiian shirt. Is this cult? You're, you're either you're either cult or you're cultivating a tan. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely both. shrimp cult. Uh, no, I was doing some uh, <laughs> help my parents re- Resilicone the tub today. That was a lot of fun. Mm. So a little construction. So I tapped a little bit into what Justin does on the regular now. Yeah, Getting my handy. ears are straight up right now. That sounds great. Is that home improvement? <laughs> yes, it I was, sir. Wow. Yes, to be brief about it, I was improving a home. Will, what's going on, man? Uh, not much, man. Just back back to the grind. Worked a little bit today. Put in a little bit of holiday pay. Now I'm back on the return, flustered, setting up microphones and Zoom pods and wires, and I'm go. I'm getting a little taste of what you go through uh, all the time, Tom. I'm trying to make make sure there's no technical malfunctions. I need a new cell phone. It's crazy out here, man. But I'm enjoying myself. I got a little, uh, allegedly a little six pack, um, <laughs> and I might uh, later on. I'm gonna leave you on a cliffhanger uh, after we conduct our guest interview tonight. I allegedly might talk about a true crime story that I allegedly participated in. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Cross-genre podcast. Before, listen, and I'm only going to tell you that because you guys are like brothers to me, okay? <clears throat> mm-hmm. But two guys that are real-life brothers, they're not like brothers. They just are. That's the science of it. Um, you know, DNA test pending. We got Sunil and Sanjay Kumar calling in uh, from the band Wormhole, and we're going to take you down that wormhole first. It's all about brotherly love here. Get those guys on the phone. So we're here with uh, Sunil and Sanjay Kumar, uh, brothers uh, who are in the band Wormhole, right, guys? Yep. And just right off the bat, you guys obviously know I'm Will, uh, and I also got my buddy Tom over here. Hey, Tom. Hey, Tom. Thanks for he, coming he on. He waved for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's that's Justin in the white cephalic carnage shirt, uh, right, merged out. I'll try to get closer to the mic. What's going on, guys? <laughs> Awesome, man. So, um, Sunil and Sanjay, thank you for your time, guys. Thanks for joining us. And right off the bat, uh, you know, I always start off the interviews asking people, are you from a musical family? But just for the listeners and for, for clarification, you guys are brothers, right? Yep. Yeah, it's like so, cheating on the question. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are, yeah. So, 
Uh, maybe if you guys could take us back a little bit. Are you from a musical family other than each other? Um, and uh, and and if if not, where does music come in for you? So we uh, it's basically split between our parents' side. So like our mom's side is very musical. Um, our aunt is an opera singer, and our uh, grandfather is like a folk musician. Dad's side is like the opposite. Like they don't get it at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like we we got we got lucky. Uh, we had the family interest and, uh, you know, could battle our dad to let us pursue it, you know? Yeah, it's good to have someone in your corner. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But our immediate family, not really. It's just, like, uh, extended relatives kind of got super into it, but, like, our parents, uh, the family that we see often... That's that's how it goes sometimes, man. Uh, sometimes those cousins and, and and aunts and uncles are more supportive uh, than than the parents. I that's kind of my situation too, man. Uh, and just for the listeners too, that was Sanjay speaking first and Sunil speaking second. We you know we normally do uh, one band member at a time, but since you guys are blood, we're gonna let it slide. All right, uh, we're, we're, no, I'm just joking. We're glad you guys could join us. Um, so you mentioned you have I'm sorry you said a, uh, an aunt who's a opera singer. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, you have you have her, and like, is there is there encouragement for you guys to pick up an instrument, or 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 is the picking up guitar um, after you are exposed to heavy metal, or are you playing instruments as ki- as children? We we're playing instruments as kids. I think for our parents, it was more like they just wanted us to be doing something so that we weren't sitting at home. Uh, so, like, Sanjay, when he was like what five or six, started learning piano and I picked up violin. Uh, and then, of course, when we got into the heavy metal, then we started picking up guitars. But, uh, you know, we did have that exposure at a young age, just to music. And, you know, that's how I know how to read music is from when I was, you know, six or seven learning how to play violin. Right. Yeah. It's- okay. So you come, you come in already with a little bit of a, a musical history and a musical education. At what point do you guys, or maybe it's one before the other, you tell me, uh, notice heavy metal and hard rock music in particular, um, and it stands out to you? It was middle school for both of us. So we're only a year apart, so basically everything that happened to us happens at the same time. Because, right. <laughs> yeah, we're like the same. Uh, yeah, so it was, uh, it was middle school, and it was partially like, it, it was honestly like video games. Uh, like, okay, like, I got super into, this is not a metal example, but an example, but when I was in, like, third grade and I played Need for Speed Underground, uh, the title track was a Lil John the Eastside Boys song, so, like, in third grade, I got so into that, um, yeah, it was terrible, I, third grade should not, <laughs> like, should not be listening to that. <laughs> But then, like, Guitar Hero came along, and it was just a video game, but they had all these metal songs. Um, so, like, I learned about Iron Maiden from that, and then, like, that was my first favorite band. Um, Noni had his own, like, sub-interests from Guitar right. Hero also. I like the Metallica and the Slayer songs on there. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That seems Guitar to be Hero like- is so good, man. I just, yeah. Go ahead, Tom. Oh yeah, no, that just seems to be like a common thing where people's first exposure is through that game. They start trickling in those metal things and 
breaking into mainstream. Yeah, he- hearing that more and more, and um, it's funny. <laughs> you talk about Little John, the East Side Boys. I, you're making me feel old now because I remember that was probably that was like one of the things that was big when I was probably in my early 20s, and we would start going to bars in Huntington, you know, because you just got your ID and everything like that. So, it was, you know, I, I I wasn't too big on the non-metal related going out to to bars scene, but that was like the music that was playing, and they made fun of that on the Chappelle Show and everything. You're bringing me back with that, man. That's funny. He was, I mean, <laughs> he he could have sing. Little John definitely could have sang for a hardcore metal band if he applied. Oh yeah, for real. That's what he wanted. Oh yeah, <laughs> that would have been great. You know, <laughs> in a different world maybe. Um, so all right, so that's something we've heard uh, various times on the podcast about people being exposed to metal through video games. Uh, more and more, some with some of the younger generations, man. That's good to know. That's interesting to note. And um, you know, you talk about Slayer. Iron Maiden, things like that. When does it get real? And you guys are like, oh, death metal, black metal, grindcore, you know, and, and you start dipping into the underground stuff. Uh, I think it was a little bit of a gradient because uh, it started with like, you know, Metallica, Iron Maiden, then a little bit heavier with like Megadeth and Exodus, and then a little bit heavier with like Death and Morbid Angel, and then a little bit heavier with like Obscura necrophages and then eventually you know now we're at like devourment and uh <laughs> afterbirth and that type of yeah yeah i, I love it because I, I i had like a scattershot way of getting into underground music and i've had to go back and fill in a lot of gaps but it sounds like you guys had like a nice uh paste like like ascent into death metal you know what i mean you know you know, <laughs> musicians, I'm sure, like, you know your chops you know you know where it comes from that's good yeah those well-pitched stairs, you know, going right down, you know, into... It's that easy slide. <laughs> yeah. I, I fell through, like, a, a, a quicksand right in the gore grind. You know? <laughs> <laughs> who, who's Chuck Schuldner? What? Gore guts who? You know, and I learned, you know, as the years went on. But, all right, so you guys are uh, from Baltimore, right? Or from Maryland? Correct me if I'm wrong. We're in Baltimore County, so not in the city of Baltimore, but on the outside of the city. Okay, born and raised? Yep. I mean, Baltimore City, but also the surrounding area, has uh, a, a very like vital history when it comes to underground music, especially punk rock and hardcore and metal, I guess, um, in certain pockets and certain scenes, if, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken. You, got, you, got, you guys want to talk about navigating the underground when you first started getting into that stuff and the local scene? For me, my entrance to this entire thing... I'm not particularly proud of it, but was like my tech death band not being able to get any gigs as a tech death band, so playing deathcore shows. Uh, and I never was, I never wanted, you know, that's not the music I wanted to be to be playing with. But that was my entry into seeing that there are all these like scenes and stuff like that, and uh, groups who know each other just by uh, this and that. Yeah, and I didn't really know what I was doing at that at that time. I didn't really know what, like, who any of these people are or, like, why I should care about the people that I'm around. Uh, and also, but it turned out that, like, I was kind of right because uh, I don't see any of those people <laughs> anymore. They're all doing their deathcore thing and I'm doing my thing over here. Yeah, like... Basically going to see shows at Sidebar in Baltimore, um, mm-hmm. like 
every week or other week was my exposure to like real underground music and how a show works how bands are supposed to be treated at shows and how i'm supposed to interact with right that 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 whole um etiquette of of being in a band and you know the loading out process and everything and yep. you know getting up and being on yeah. time and working with a sound guy yeah i mean it's not not being not mean to the sound guy, the sound guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah really that place was like the school for me in that regard that's awesome because I, I don't know if I brought it up on the podcast. I have a, a, a long personal connection to the sidebar going back. Um, almost every band I've ever been in has performed there at some point. And uh, <laughs> you know, shout, out to, shout out to Travis, shout out to Hassan, anyone else who's involved in the sidebar. You know, like all of the venues, we wish them the best in the current events, the current situation. Um, but yeah, the sidebar, what a great place to kind of grow up in underground music. Uh, that's awesome, man. Re- like real, real history there. Uh, and you, you mentioned that you were already in a band, a tech death band, trying to uh, like make your way playing shows. What band were you in at that point? And was that your first band? It was called Perihelion. And it, I would say for all intents and purposes, it was my first actual band. Like actual band that rehearsed regularly, played shows, and cared about doing something. And, and if I'm not mistaken, your current vocalist, uh, um, Anch, is... He was involved in that band. He's like a, a main member of that band as well, Perihelion. Yeah, me and Ange wrote the songs for that band. And that's that's uh, an ongoing project. No, it's kind of done. Uh, Wormhole kind of just took over. Like we're way more invested in this. So, <laughs> all right, man. Um, that that's interesting because another thing you guys have been invested in over the years, and the way I first met you guys was when you began working with Cognitive. Uh, Rob Warden, shout to the boy, right? You know he's gonna he's gonna bust balls if we don't shout him out. Shout him out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you guys, so uh, Perihelion's playing shows. When do you guys start subbing in for Cognitive, and who was it first? Because it's a little like blurry to me. Um, I know both you guys were in and out of the band in different instrumentations and things like that, but maybe you could explain that. So, uh, I first met Rob when Perihelion was playing with Cognitive. Some random ass show in like North Carolina or something and then seeing him at sidebar uh, and granted like this is like before I really knew Rob so Rob's just this tall bald guy to me um, you thought he was a local down there <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah I started to like get to know him and and uh, stuff like that uh, and he like he would come out to you know what whatever show like we happened to be playing around him um, and then we had, he was booking a tour that was going to be Cognitive and Wormhole. And Cognitive didn't have a bass player for that tour. So I played bass in Cognitive on that tour. So I did guitar, Wormhole, and then bass in Cognitive. Um, and yeah, that was the first time any of us filled in for that band. But then since then, the next tour I couldn't do. So our vocalist, Anch. He filled in for Cognitive instead, playing guitar. He did a couple tours with them playing guitar, and then come like last uh, August. Um, well, yeah, but you, and then. So, but then what? Matt, our drummer, and Anch also together filled in for Cognitive last year. Yeah, I also yeah. 
and then July, it was my turn, and I filled in. Basically, everybody has. Every, like all. Of I'm them. writing it all down. I got right. I got a five subject notebook. Uh, I'm writing everything down. No, see, because this is why I brought it up. Because when are you guys doing the split, where you write it for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Well, that's why I brought it up. Because you guys are kind of like brother bands in a sense. You know, you you see that sometimes. There's a lot. Of, some of my own bands. We have a lot of members in and out of different projects and stuff together. Um. But so so wormhole was already around when you started working with cognitive and things like that. Uh, maybe before we get too deep into that end of it, take us into the inception of wormhole. And was that the first time you two worked together on a project? All right, so it's kind of funny because wormhole actually existed before wormhole, and it was called a different band. It was called Rotting Phallus. Mm. Um, saw that in the research. <laughs> very classic slam. Uh, okay. But, and this was still the same lineup that we have right now as Wormhole. Uh, plus, minus one person. Yeah, minus one, one person. So, we were Rotting Phallus. Our vocalist at the time, Total Douchebag, had this big thing where uh, me and Noni left, like, just left the band because we hated this guy. Uh, Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so... Yeah, so then, like, me and Noni made all the songs, so, like, when the band, uh, disformed, uh, we released it under Wormhole, and then... So that was when it was just the two of yeah, us. Yeah, it was just the two of us at that time. And we reached out to, uh, Duncan from Volvadinia. He ended up doing vocals for the record for us. And then that was, uh, like, Wormhole Iteration 1. That was one of the singles that you put out? That was the first album... Yeah, the Genesis. Yeah, yeah, Genesis. Okay, all right, because you guys did put out two singles prior to that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, so Genesis, um, you come right off the bat. You guys worked with Lacerated Enemy Records for that and for your most recent album. Um, what? You, I, I guess putting out the singles, you shopped those to labels, and that's how you came to work with Lacerated Enemy? I think la we were on Lacerated's radar. 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 Radar because uh, because of Duncan, his band had just signed with Lacerated, so maybe he was looking at us as well. Sure. Uh, but we had a couple like other like underground labels hit us up, and I think some of these labels maybe just scan like Slam Worldwide, and if they like something, maybe they hit them up or pick it out. <laughs> I'm not really sure because you know we didn't really reach out to any of them. They just kind of fell in our lap and we picked one <laughs> <laughs> awesome it <laughs> works man so were, were you guys playing shows of any kind with wormhole um leading up to genesis we were planning on it i think but no but no we didn't play a show so, until like okay december 2017 i think was our first show okay cause, so that's what i'm getting at jenna because you know, you guys come up with a record on Lacerated Enemy Records, um, uh, 2016. Uh, you, you're not even, uh, you don't, you don't even do like a record release show, touring, anything like that. And that's that's fine because what I'm getting at is there's kind of a natural hype around the album and around the band. Uh, you're getting the word out through social media and through um, the local scene and things like that. When you guys finally play your first show, what is the lineup at that point? So the lineup at that point was the same as our OG Rotting Phallus lineup, 
minus that vocalist that we hated. Uh, and the guy filling in was uh, Jarrell Hart, who was... I don't know if he was still incognito at that time, but... Jarrell, yeah, I don't believe he would have been in, in that in 2017. I'd have to go back because he act, his last show with Cognitive was like on tour with Artificial Brain. And Rob did vocals. I'll never forget because Rob did vocals and played guitar like the last two shows or so. And you'll ra- rarely see Cognitive with Rob doing that, but he, he he's able to do it. So shout to him on that. But um, yes, and shout to Jarrell, of course, too. Um, that's interesting. I didn't realize Jarrell had performed with you guys. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but go on. Yeah, that was the lineup, though. Uh, we just, like, because Duncan lives in South Africa, so we're not getting him. So, mm-hmm. and we all love Jarrell. So that was just, uh, and he wanted to do it. He was a good fit, yeah, He was great. He, he was did really so good. good. Yeah, Jarrell is one of the best. I understand that the guy, um, you know, he left Cognitive because he had other things in his life he wanted to pursue. And, that, you know, all due respect to him. Uh, and not to knock the guy, but what a vocalist. I was always very impressed with him, watching him live and his commitment and uh, all that sort of thing. He deserves respect as a vocalist. Um, so shout out to him, uh, too, obviously. But um, you guys play live in 2017. How how far before that, are you still playing Genesis material, or do you have material from The Weakest Among Us written at that point? At that point, we just had, like, we had some stuff written, but we were just playing the Genesis stuff because... But that was only that first show. Yeah, that was only that... Well, sort of. For, for, for that show was all Genesis, and that show, I don't think we had... Like, we had never practiced any of the new songs together. Like, there were some demos, maybe, but we had never played them together. Um, but then, come the very first tour that we did... Uh, we started playing Weakest Among Us stuff. At least one song. One song. Okay, cool. Because what I'm getting at, too, is just how long the songs are uh, around and being written before they're being recorded. Because this sounds wormhole. You know, listening to, to both albums today and in the last few days as kind of like research for the interview, it strikes me as a very, like, production and, um, like, like, like it's a marinating heavy project. It's, it's, it seems like something that you guys have around for a while. You spend a lot of time developing parts and, and it's, it's very detailed and articulate in, in ways. Is that fair to say? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Weakest Among Us took fucking forever. It, it sounds like it. You know? Yeah, man. That, what a crazy, intricate album. Um, <laughs> I, I fucking love it. It's so outside the box. You guys both crushed that. Nice. Thanks. The 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 crucial piece that makes the band the band is like the hardest thing to 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 make, and it's like the seamless gap between tech death and slam because they're so different that they don't really belong together. They're just kind of like so many parts like were completely rewritten so many yeah, times. So many. And we re-recorded drums on the record, too, at one point. Oh, really? Yeah, the whole thing. (laughs) That's quite a commitment. Yeah, scary decision to make. (laughs) You already paid to have them recorded and stuff. That's that's a lot for studio time. I don't know your whole process behind that, but anyone who's familiar with drum tracking, it could be daunting. Yeah. Yeah. So the first time that we did it, we had gone to our uh, buddy's studio. The second time that we did it, we had just recorded them ourselves in our drummer's basement. But he helped us a yeah, lot. He helped us a lot. Like, like we, 
we learned about mic placements like through doing that project. Gotcha. Yeah. Is, is that um, Matt Tillett? Yep. Yeah. I'm talking about okay, and and he's currently the drummer of the band. Yep. Okay. Um, it seems when you when you talk about the tech death and the slam thing. It does seem a little counterintuitive, although it seems like the thing lately the last few years is bands trying to blend both, but a lot of times what I what I think happens is people rely on tropes and they bounce between tropes. It's like I'm doing um, this tech death, uh, you know, music school thing over here, and then we're just going to go straight ignorant with a slam riff here and like kind of like patchwork it back and forth. But it seems more like listening to The Weakest Among Us, like you guys, you tend to start with a very simple slam trope, for lack of a better word, and you use it as a foundation for uh, this, this, and you, you cram more into like eight bars of like a, of a chug riff than most people, than a, lot of, than a lot of slam bands would in an album. And it keeps, and it's like this cycle of building up and breaking back down that's a little more organic. Is that intentional? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The whole... Like, I don't think that the tr- the reason that the transitions work between the slams and the tech, and, like, some of them are pretty sudden, but I think mm-hmm. that they work because, like, there is that tension there, and we're releasing that tension a little bit. Yeah, it's, it is going back and forth a little bit, but it goes back and forth when, uh, you know, it's time, you know, you think of it like a conversation, right? You have to take a breath. And then you got to release it. And we do, you know, let it breathe a little bit when we're going back and forth between these two sides, I think. That's what we tried to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because that's that's what kind of kept me engaged is that you'll have the parts that you always expect from quote-unquote slam bands. You know, everything drops and it's just the guitar chugging and a cymbal count. But then you'll, you might hold it out for a little bit longer and add, and add some noodly guitars to it and a, and a layered effect. You know what I mean? Things that I don't normally expect from your, your um, you know, shout to Devourment, shout to Internal Bleeding, shout to Dying Fetus and all those bands. But what you guys are doing different is you're not just trying to copy that energy um, and that, that blueprint from them. You know what I mean? It's, and it's, it's really cool because it's not like you're just doing, like I said, back and forth between tech and slam. You're trying to take the slam and make it the rhythmic basis for something technical. It's it's um it's cool to hear that that's somewhat intentional, and the conversational thing makes a lot of sense. You got to stop and bring the energy down, and then bring it back. It may, it's more like like breathing, you know, or like like heart beating, you know. Yeah, you guys have to do a master class oh, yeah. on that. The way you write music is very <laughs> interesting. So, <laughs> and I never heard of anyone referring to uh, song structure or songwriting in terms of conversation. That's very interesting. I like that. The building of tension and releasing it, uh, it's spot on. I like to think about like two guys talking to each other and then like gradually they're starting to argue with one another until they fight and that's like your climax. Yeah, what are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> that's the question. <laughs> you you know what's funny, mate? You, you brought it here. Um, with that in mind, two brothers in a band um, pretty much the same age, give or take a few months to a year. How is it working together? I mean, you guys inevitably have to have some sort of uh, element of creative difference or something like that sometimes, right? Or is it all smooth and it's easier than working with other musicians? You tell me. It's actually super smooth, uh, partially just because there are no communication barriers. Uh, 
I mean, when I'm explaining something, like Noni usually gets it quicker than anybody else because Noni understands what I'm what I'm what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's funny though is like we on, all right on the weakest among us, we didn't actually really collaborate that much on the songs. Uh, we like collaborated on the idea, like what we wanted to do. And then I made four songs that do that, and then he made four songs that do that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. So like, wow. yeah, like there are, we do have like some legitimate stylistic differences that like, if you're aware, are super easy to point yeah, out. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, like we can talk about it like really well. So like we know what each other is expecting, like almost down to a T. Um, so even if it's like something is stylistically different, like they're all fitting the same idea. Right. Like you're on agreement with how this is going to go over. So whether you're playing into your own style or not, you could you could tell if a riff is going to work or a transition yeah, is going right. to work. All right. Just because you have been interfacing so long. Yeah. That's great. I think That's great. it's fucking fascinating. Uh, like the attitude that we have going into it. Like, when I show Sanjay a riff for a song, or he shows me one, it's never, and, you know, he tells me that doesn't work, or I tell him I don't like that. Like, the response from a criticism is not, like, fuck you, it's like, you know, it's like, well, shit, now, you know, I was proud of this, but I guess it's not that sick. Like, we're always, you know, we... The goal is to uh, blow the other person away, and so if, like, if what I write, Sanjay doesn't think it's sick, I'm not going to be upset because he doesn't think it's sick or it's not going on the record. I'm going to be upset because, like, I made something and it turned out to be shit. You know if that makes sense? I think you're being a little hard on yourself, though. Like, we're a little competitive, but then we're also valid, yeah. <laughs> yeah, M- teamwork is, seems more important than, like the competitive side or the personal pride in, in what's going on you know, yeah. you know like uh you know you don't want to you know the hill to die on sort of uh method of speak right you know what's the riff to die on it's probably not the best riff you just write a better one <laughs> you know, kind of deal. it's always there i love that though it's like brotherly love man and, and, and the, i mean there definitely the is a bit of a competitive side we just oh. don't talk oh. about it <laughs> Well, with, with that in mind, I'm glad you brought that up, man, because I did see uh, there's an interview on, on YouTube where you did mention that you wrote um, The Weakest Among Us and in, in you, 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 wrote, you wrote four songs and you wrote four songs. Um, is that, was that, you, you set out to do that and was that a different process from Genesis? Genesis had happened by accident. But it was the same. Yeah, but it was the same. <laughs> <laughs> and you said this works, so might as well stick with it. Yeah, kinda. Uh, I think that also, like, part of that competitiveness, and this is like, this is getting down there, is like, we want to be equally represented right. in our band because this band is, like, our idea. Um, yeah. So, like, that's part of it, but also, like, you know, we also just want to make the music that we want to listen to. So, that's always the light at the end of the tunnel. So. The goal is just to make the music, really. Yeah. Having both of us write, maybe uh, maybe lets there be a little more variety in the songs on the record. Just because, like, 
fundamentally there's a little bit of a different approach. Uh, as opposed to one guy writing the song and then they have to think very hard about how they're going to make them sound differently. But with two different people writing who are kind of on the same wavelength just because we live together uh, or grew up together, I think it worked in our favor. It sure does. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of different ways to flip things um, for, for sure. And, you know, we talked about how um, your approach to slam and technicality um, seems a, a little unique to me uh, in this day and age and, and very um, uh, uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, effort put into the production. What are some bands, and I'm not trying to pigeonhole you, you know, the generic, what are your influences, but what are some bands that have always stuck with you guys, maybe even metal or not, death metal or not, but something where you said this inspires our take on things and how we want to write and how we want to produce and, and innovate you know like what are like like i guess you know your influences but you know not just you know oh dying fetus devourment you know like everyone else says like what are some things that are really important to you guys as writers okay so there are two two bands that actually three bands that changed me and noni together like we both share the exact same vision on them um and they shaped what we wanted to be as a band and all of our music interests. The first one was uh, uh, Necrophagist, Epitaph. Like, mm -hmm. all, uh, all we, we ever wanted to do was write something as cool as that. Um, and that's where we get the, the eight tracks, all killer, no filler sort of uh, kind of album going. Um, all right, the one after that, was Abominable Putridity with the Anomalies of Artificial Origin. That was our gateway into Slam, which changed our entire lives. So that's like so worthy of praise for us. Um, and then uh, the other one is Defeated Sanity. It's just like, you know, that first real tech slam. Yeah, that's like our. our that was like probably the first real brutal death metal that we were into, like, you know, where it's like fuck all production, like mid scoop, uh, that <laughs> that kind of thing. Which, like, I used to think was like, why would you do this? But now it's like all I want to do. <laughs> I mean, those are some good choices. Yeah, for sure. Makes sense. How about that? How about that new Defeated Sanity track, though? Amazing. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, fuck, it's insane. I got 30 I, seconds into it and pre-ordered the LP. <laughs> <laughs> the um, unreal. Uh, yeah, the defeated sanity name came up in my mind a lot, especially listening to the weakest among us. Um, maybe not two bands that I would play and say, "Oh, these guys sound exactly like one another," but the approach to respecting slam death metal, um, but adding an innovative progressive element to it uh is there and i thought a defeated sanity wormed uh other names like that where the the brutal guttural slamming nature is still there but they're not um they're not rehashing something that's been done a lot uh you know ever, ever since you know terrence hobbs wrote the original like you you know there, there are bands that are pushing things forward and i see that a little bit with wormhole now you guys just put out, um, like we said, the weakest among us this year in 2020, uh, and obviously we're, you know, we're, we're interviewing you guys in the middle of this um, pandemic situation, so it's hard to talk about plans. 
but what do you guys got in mind for new material? Uh, and maybe did you have plans like for touring or something that were upset by this situation? We had two tours that were upset by this situation. Uh, we had, we were supposed to end one of them today. Uh, it was with uh, Archbire, Surreption, and Entheos. And then we had a we had another one starting in June, which was gonna be Waking the Cadaver, Volvadinia, and Us, which also got canceled. I'm laughing not because it's funny. I'm just laughing. <laughs> yeah, oh, bro. I we we canceled a lot of dates between me filling in for Pyrexia and Artificial Brain actually getting on the road again for the first time in a long time and recording our third album and it's all a wash now so that's the only reason I'm laughing man because I'm right there with you guys I, I feel you you know it's the solidarity just, makes it easier like knowing that yeah. like we're all going through this together I suppose it would kind of be harder if you just couldn't go on tour because your van broke down or something or, you know something happened and ever and the world was spinning still and you you were the only one getting fucked but yeah. <laughs> yeah we're you know yeah we're all we're all in the death metal scene together man just like just like those commercials on tv man we're all in it together i guess uh you know and um but yeah i mean that well that on that note obviously um you know that sucks and we we hope that those tours can get rescheduled and everybody can get back on the road and, and productive again what about new material uh, are you taking advantage of this downtime to work on new stuff a big time we've written the best songs we have ever written during this quarantine that's what's up hell yeah like to hear that i mean like that's the perfect thing to produce when like the tour is canceled i guess because yeah feel bad about yourself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right write a doom album. <laughs> yeah. So uh you know, looking for like I well, you know, obviously it's kinda hard to look forward at the moment. We're taking things day by day, uh and you know, we're just ta- not taking anything for granted anymore. That's how it is, man. But um with Wormhole, we talked a lot about your writing process, um, but we didn't really talk so much. We talked about that first show in two thousand seventeen. But you guys were able to get out on the road and do a fair amount of touring before this current situation the last two years, right? Yep. Just go ahead, name drop. Name drop. Who, who would you want to go with? <laughs> go ahead, go nuts. Cities, bands, restaurants, go. <laughs> uh, we did Volvadinia in Europe, and we were direct support to them. Uh, that was set up through our label, Lacerated Enemy. So they had two other Lacerated bands on there. Uh, Blade of Horus and Placenta Power Fist. <laughs> Blade of Blade of Horus, I'm, I'm more familiar with. Placenta Power Fist, I gotta digest that name. I'm just gonna <laughs> write that down and think about it later. I can't even, not in the middle of an interview. But, uh, yeah, man. Um, uh, so, and was that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Sanjay, were you filling in for Volvadanya on that tour? No, no. I, I did that fill in on a completely different tour. Tell us, what tour was that? I was filling in for Inferi in Europe, and then for five shows, I was also filling in on Volvadinia. I was just guitar for hire that tour for everybody. Wow. <laughs> were, were you filling in for Malcolm from Inferi? Or was no, I was, filling in for, I was filling in for Mike. Okay. Ma- Malcolm's still with the group, right? Yeah. Yeah, sh- yeah shout to Malcolm, man. Yeah, shout to Malcolm. <laughs> Hello, Malcolm. <laughs> Would would love to get him on the on the podcast eventually. Oh yeah. <laughs> so um, that that's interesting, man. Like 
you got your own band where you're writing material and you know your own stuff. In theory, is not it's it's not like a dumb band where you could learn a bunch of riffs overnight, right? I mean, In theory is kind of known for being a more technical guitar centric band. Um, like, how does that process work, man? Like, like, do you just crunch hours and hours at night before the tour, cramming? How do you learn all that stuff on guitar? Um, well, I've done a couple fill-in gigs. I used to just cram it, like, like, because I would treat it like I treat school, which is procrastinate. <laughs> but I've done some fill-in gigs in the past, so now I know not to do that. So I kind of, like, take it, like, I, I have, like, a couple, couple phases. Like, my first phase where it's, like, memorize all the songs and then i have like i'll have a like at least two weeks before the tour where i'm got all the songs memorized and then i just crunch them and play it like over and over again like five hours a day till the tour starts and i'm usually good to go on that and with the inferi stuff if i didn't listen to inferi and i didn't know that that material it would have been way harder for me to learn but like that's a band I actively listen to, so I know all the songs already. It's just a matter of playing them now. Right. Like, like if right. you can sing a song, you know it's going to be way easier to learn the part. You know. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that. It wasn't. It wasn't too bad. Wow. All right. Yeah. Just as a as a non instrumentalist, it blows my mind uh, when people are able to do that sort of thing. And on that note too, you're also um, a member of, uh, if I pronounce it right, um, Equipoise. Yeah, you um, got it right. With with for, former guest of the show Phil Tugas, um, and uh, you were on their 2019 uh, Demi Urgis album, right? Which which was on Artisan Era, uh, the same label as Inferi and all that. Yep. Take us there. How do you join? Because because you weren't on the first EP, so I imagine somewhere between the first EP and the album, you you join up. So me and Nick knew each other on the internet from like way back in the day, um, and. Uh, Funny enough, so I mixed uh, some stuff back back in the day, like my own bands. I would I'd mix their stuff. Um, I was bad at it. I didn't know what I was doing. Still don't know what I'm doing. But Nick had seen that I sort of knew what I was doing, so he asked me to mix his demo slash EP. It's definitely a demo, uh, but uh, <laughs> I had a I had a guest solo on it as well, and I mixed it. So then, um, come like when Nick is like preparing for like this real album, uh, he wants another guitar player who can record and wants to make solos and stuff like that. And that was me. So uh, basically, I joined the band with like my my first thing. The first reason I joined the band was Nick wanted somebody to record all the guitars for the record. Um, so that was my that was basically the main reason I ended up joining the band. Mm. Uh, but I'm mean, gonna do a lot more for them now. Like I'm writing songs <laughs> and stuff like that. Taking over. And is is that what they would refer to as a studio project? Are there any aspirations to play live with that? Uh, Equipoise has played live. Um, it was a studio project at first. It was a studio project for the longest time until last year we got an offer to tour with Beyond Creation since Hugo, our Equipoise bass player, also plays in Beyond Creation. Um, so that was the opportunity for Equipoise to be a live band. So did that tour and it was awesome and like turned out really well. And then we got some offers like, like that tour gave us offers for 
more tours. So like, we got a offer to go to Mexico uh, on that tour, um, which was the last thing that I did before I came back and quarantine started. The Mexico to indoors, yeah. Yeah, and then we did one other tour. Oh, we did a tour where uh, we did a tour with Wormhole. Actually, it was Equipoise. Uh, Beyond Creation, Wormhole, and Exist, uh, which is another double duty tour for me, but it was only like five shows, so it was no, no prob. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no sweat, right? Dust your shoulders off. <laughs> just, just playing in two technical death metal bands tonight. Nothing big. Um, so, well. Tell, tell us a little bit about touring in Mexico, man. What was that? I've never been. I've never had the opportunity or, um, uh, or been down there to play a show. I know that they have some diehard uh, metal scene uh, you know, types down there, and they have some really kick-ass festivals that have been booked and that are coming up and, and such, man. So what's the metal scene like down there? What's it, what, and what's it like to tour and travel down there? Uh, the shows there are, like, off the chain. Okay, I thought Europeans were, like, crazy supportive compared to Americans but Mexico it's different like you I never felt like a celebrity before but I felt like a celebrity over there and I'm not a celebrity like I'm not like I play on a death metal band <laughs> what do you mean you're on a podcast <laughs> yeah. what do you mean you're on the heavy hole bro come on but yeah like there's this like crazy enthusiasm over there every single person in the in the venue wants to take a picture with you like, they don't know who I am. They probably don't even know that I was playing up there. Like, they, I'm just by the merch table, so they want to get a picture with me. And I'm. <laughs> Shows there are like some of the best I, I have experienced in my entire life. Uh, promoters there, the staff that we were working with was amazing. Uh, the tour managers that we, the tour manager that we had, his name was Annie, and he said like Annie Skywalker. So I'll always remember his name. Never had a guy take care of me as much as this guy did. Like, he'd make sure that we had everything that we needed. Uh, but given, like, in, in Europe, you know, it's like, get everything you, you need. Like, that's kind of normal over there, and they have shops and stuff everywhere. But, like, in Mexico, he kind of has to, like, if for me to get everything that I need, like, he needs to, you know, take a little bit more into consideration like how much money he's spending and stuff like that because they're paying for so much stuff over there um just yeah, not I, easy to access everything right like yeah all in all though like i i have never felt so accommodated um it would have been nice if like i had more time to enjoy the accommodations because uh drives or flights are so long and you know, like, the fact that you have to take a flight to the next show means no matter what, you're going to wake up at, like, 5 a.m. And the show yeah. yesterday ended at 2, so, like, you're fucked. Uh, but, yeah, still the absolute best touring experience I've I've ever had. Awesome, man. Yeah, I hope, hope, hope to get down there one day. Um, uh, and, you know, we're talking about touring... We talked a little bit before about how both you guys and other members of your band have been um, helping out as live musicians for Cognitive. Uh, and we had a whole episode just for the listeners with Rob Wharton of Cognitive, and we talked extensively about touring and that crazy mini mini school bus thing that he had for a long time. I'm sure you guys you, you guys camped out in the mini school bus thing with the bunks, oh, right? Oh, yeah. 
Could you tell us about touring with Cognitive, um, touring in the school bus, uh, and maybe a little bit about the work ethic um, with Rob Wharton? Because he, he's an eccentric guy. I clown on him. I bust his balls. But he's, he's got a pretty good work ethic with the underground music. I also like busting his balls. Yeah, I like busting Rob's balls a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've only done one tour in the bus. Um, and I think it was actually the last tour of the bus because... What happened was on the way back, uh, like these lugs on the wheel like broke, but the wheel was like still attached. It was this, this weird, weird thing going on, and it was a Sunday in Texas, and couldn't get a hold of a mechanic to do anything about it. So we were just like trapped in this broken uh, school bus, getting towed from like city to city. Uh, yeah, I think that was the last of the of the of the bus on that floor but um yeah it was it's such a cool machine like the bunks the little tv like i i could get cozy and i could chill out and like you know have a sick smoke but uh pain in the ass to drive rob would always have to do some bullshit on the engine or something or like put like brake fluid back in like every single drive there'd be something he had to do to keep it to keep it afloat if you looked under it too, like, I think if I had looked under it and saw the rusty chassis before driving it, I wouldn't have driven it. <laughs> it's fucking terrifying. It looks like it was part of like sheet metal from the Titanic. Oh God. <laughs> I do think that that touring with Cognitive was like the one of the best touring experiences ever just because there's way less pressure on me um you know like first of all it's not my band so like if four mm -hmm. people come to a show i'm less butthurt about it you know and if you fuck up it's like oops <laughs> <laughs> you guys played like shit tonight but just like uh you know with with, with rob as your as your guiding light for that tour your tour manager band leader um, yeah, he's not going to put a lot of stress on you. You like, don't have to no worry about what. anything. Yeah, you don't, you don't have to right worry out. about anything. Rob, Rob's going to handle it. Uh, so, like, that's why I love doing the, the cognitive gigs because there's just like this peace of mind. It's like I can be on tour and really just enjoy myself for being out there instead of, you know, worrying about it so much like it's a business. Because like with my mm -hmm. bands, I need to worry about it like it's a business because it is a business. <laughs> But, you know, with, with Rob, he's already doing all that stuff. I'm here just to play. I'm having fun. Yeah, I, I definitely know what you mean. Uh, like, it's a little more, sometimes it's a little easier filling in for a band that's not your own. Like, the, the you know, I, I, I did a short run with Pyrexia and played a few shows with them. And um, I'm still kind of like on, on hand as like the, the fill-in vocalist for Pyrexia Live. Uh, and it's, you know, shout to Chris Basile of Pyrexia. It's the same thing. It's like, he's, he's going to handle it. It's his band. He, he, you know, he's been around longer than me touring and all that. He knows the deal. And you kind of just got to show up and do your job and that's it. And when you go back to your own band, you're like, wow, I got to be the manager more. I got to think about the business end of it more, man. It's, it's nice to just have, uh, only your parts of the songs on your mind, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so are, are either of you guys... Uh, or anyone you're affiliated with still currently in Cognitive um, as live members or full-time members? Just because, like I said, man, it's a little blurry to me what's going on. 
we just kind of... Wormhole exists, like, as this pool of potential fill-in members that Rob sticks his hand to in some time and just <laughs> takes whoever he picks up. <laughs> like, I did... I mean, cognitive does fill-ins. They do ask for fill-ins a lot. I think it's, like, a... Some people think it's kind of weird, but I think it's a testament to Rob's work ethic and, like, how bad he wants to make this happen. Like, the tour that I did with them... Uh... Rob and the bassist Tyler were the only actual members. Vocalist, drummer, and myself were filling in. The so three out of the five were filling. And I think two, yeah. you know, those other two guys could have just as easily been somebody else in Wormhole. It, you know, it, dude, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, it's the same thing. When, um, when I fill in with Pyrexia, it's a band that over the years, uh, you know, the the, um, the the one founding member Chris, uh, who keeps the you know the ship, uh, you know, who was like the the captain of the ship. Um, he, it's like whatever it takes. If we got to do this three week tour, and a couple of you guys got to drop out here, and a couple of you guys got to join me later on, we're gonna find our friends who can fill out, and we're gonna do it. And I, you know, as a fan, especially when you're younger and you don't understand what goes into these underground tours and all that sort of thing and people's personal lives, you don't understand why there might be fill-in members and stuff like that. But as you grow older, uh, especially if you've been involved in this type of thing, I've come to have a lot of respect for people like Rob and Cognitive and Chris and Pyrexia, Chris Prevelis and Internal Bleeding, uh, Terrence and Suffocation. We just we uh, we recently interviewed Kelly Schaefer of Atheist, uh, and that's just how a lot of death metal bands in this day and age can and do, uh, do business and stay alive on the road, and it takes... Um, a good coach, so to speak, like you have with these primary members, you know? Right. Yeah, Rob. I don't know, he just made, he wants it. He really wants it. <laughs> it's it's Rob. He's doing too much, as always. You know what I mean? <laughs> always doing too much, man. Shout out to Rob and Cognitive. Um, on that note, uh, we won't give them any more shine uh, during this interview. We've talked your guys' ears off about playing shows, your writing, your recording, uh, your albums, Genesis, and The Weakest Among Us on Lacerated Enemy Records. Um, and you guys, if you're familiar with the show, before we wrap things up, we always want you to recommend something for our listeners. And we're going we're gonna to be nice since there's two of you here. We're going we're gonna to let each of you guys please recommend one old and one newer release uh, for the listeners. All right, I'm going to go first. Uh, an old release I think everybody should look at, uh, and this is a very me thing, but uh, this band Orchidectomy, not Organectomy, Orchid, Orchid, yeah. one album, like one and done album from like 2007 that I only discovered like two years ago, uh, that like probably the band that made me love awful shitty production like more than you know, like like in brutal death metal, like to really appreciate like that really, really raw sound. Like you got a raw sound and then you have like a really raw sound. That <laughs> yeah, made me appreciate yeah, yeah. the really raw sounds, <laughs> which is something I'm I'm still surfing that that really raw sound kick right now. Um new thing that I think that uh everybody should check out. Um, I mean, I feel like people have probably said this before, but the new Ulcerate album that came out, mm -hmm. um, that's like everything that I want in a band. 
I, I, <laughs> it just it just touched me in a in a great great way. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. Two two strong recommendations, and it's funny because um, we recently did an episode with uh, Lennon O'Donnell from Pestilectomy, and he recommended. Well, I th- we I think orchidectomy came up in the conversation. Yeah, we we're talking uh, which about which is that great, great, great orchidectomy so- talk. You know, we're talking about ectomies. I love yeah, yeah, how, how ectomies the, <laughs> the ectomy thing became like a meme and slam, and all these you know, uh, you know, epicardiectomy, orchidectomy. Uh, Glossectomy from Japan. There's so many ectomies, man. You guys are going to be warm ectomy on the next album. <laughs> Noni, uh, and I feel like I could call you that because we're like family now. We've been talking for an Absolutely. hour. Uh, what about you, man? What What's your newer and your older recommendations? All right, my older recommendation, I discovered this band like a week and a half ago on YouTube. Repu Dilation, R-E-P-U Dilation. They sound like as we the the one of the first death metal band I ever saw live. Uh, we say repudiation on Long Island. But continue, yes. <laughs> okay, that's sick. Yeah. So I found them and I was like, oh, this is where Devourment got their sound from. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Thank- did did somebody put you up to that? Because that's, no, like, this- that's like that's like that that's you know the um the guy on uh, Ancient Aliens with the big hair. That's me right now. <laughs> Is like yes, repudiation, devourment. I've been do. I've been putting the dots together for you. I'm sorry, man. You ju- you just touched my heart with that. I agree hundred <laughs> percent. Please carry on. Don't let me stop. Yeah, I mean, devourment's basically like a stripped down, straightforward version of reputed. I can't say it again. Repudiation. Uh, well, we we've always repudiation is what we always said, and it kind of like begs for a Long Island accent if you look at the word and then you say repudiation. <laughs> <laughs> We dropped a bonus episode today on Memorial Day where I broke down how important repudiation was to the Long Island scene in the late 90s and several bands that came out of when that band broke up. So it's amazing that you guys are bringing up all this relevant stuff to the podcast because we can hype ourselves up now. Um, But yeah, that that repudiation is kind of like the blueprint for devourment um, if you really go back. Uh, Amazing recommendation, man. Thank you for that. We appreciate it. Yeah, I feel like uh, they did a lot like... I think even if uh, just because of the way Slam has developed, you could listen to that record now and they're still doing a lot of cool shit with it. A lot of weird mm-hmm. tempo change stuff. I don't even know what I'm really listening to a lot of the time. I'm going to send you a link to that to that bonus. I, I just did an episode where I talked about them and their other bands that members went on to form and the relevance of it all, dude. You're, oh, oh, that's wow. sick. That's awesome. Uh, my new yeah, recommendation... Yeah, what's, yeah. Oh, like, because of quarantine, I'm not really listening to a lot of new stuff as much. Uh, but, like, I mean, my recommendation would have been Afterbirth, but I guess everybody listening to this knows. <laughs> 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 yeah, I really like that record. Pe- people uh, people may have heard about it who listen to the podcast. I don't know. You know, we just put it out there. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate it, man. And, um... You know, it's that that new Afterbirth album, Four Dimensional Flesh, on Unique Leader Records, the new Afterbirth. <laughs> <laughs> that came out, like, the same week that, you know, all this shutdown really started for the pandemic and, and all that. We, we got to play one show um, right before it was released, and that was that was it, man. And um, the scene and the, and the death metal scene has been so good to us, and people like you have been so good to us, because we weren't able to play any of the shows or get on the road or do any of the things that you normally would do when a record drops, and we've still gotten a lot of positive feedback, and we know that some people are checking it out, man. So that, that's awesome, man. We, we appreciate, you know, Afterbirth is a humble band. 
those three guys who are probably like older, more experienced, and better musicians than I, you know, I could ever be. I'm humbled to be in the band. They're the most humbled and down-to-earth dudes, man. So they always appreciate any feedback on that shit, man. So just, you know, you guys, you know, you bringing it up and the listeners and everything, you know, on that note, you know, Afterbirth appreciates all that and, and more, man. That's awesome, man. And and this guy, he's trying to bring up two Long Island bands and the recommendations, man. We see you. <laughs> <laughs> you have made Will so, so happy, and uh, that, that makes you a heavy hole friend for life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so much. These guys are definitely getting a second interview when the new album drops, man. Just keep the Long Island bands popping, man. That's crazy. He probably listened to the bonus episode today. He was like, I'm going to act like I don't even know how to say it. <laughs> All right. Um, no, seriously, though, man. Uh, the Kumar Brothers of Wormhole, speaking for myself and I'm sure my co-hosts, I really enjoy um, both of your albums, but particularly the latest one. And um, as we said, uh, Genesis oh, yeah. is the uh, older one. The Weakest Among Us is the t- 2020 release, both on Lacerated Enemy Records. We're going to keep our eyes on you guys. Any parting words for your listeners or our listeners? Thank you guys so much for having us on here. Really an honor. Yeah. We're like huge fans of you guys, like ourselves, so it's really sick to be on a podcast talking, hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, glad you guys came on here. I mean, The Weakest Among Us. One of the sickest albums of 2020, by far. Top yes, five for me. I fucking love it. You guys are right. killing it. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, last name, I guess, we wanted to say is... Uh, um, you can check out The Weakest Among Us on, like, I don't know. Is that, a, is that what we're supposed to do? Are we supposed to do a <laughs> yeah. plug? Oh, you pl- yeah, plug it yeah, in. Yeah, plug it up. Yeah. Yeah, you plug it out. Act, act like you're on Hot 97. Lil John and the Eastside Boys on Hot 97, 2004. <laughs> That's what they would do. MySpace.com slash wormhole. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear it. Where where can I find that wormhole? Uh, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere, YouTube, whatever, Facebook. Uh, you can also find us on social media. You can talk to us on social media. We'll talk to you. We don't have anything better to do right now. So if you message us, we'll message you back. And uh, we can talk music and hang out on social media. There you go. That's my plan. Awesome. Thank you guys very much for your time and for your, you. uh, your work in the underground music scene. We appreciate it, man. And um, we'll be in touch as this episode is uploaded, guys. Hell awesome. yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, man. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. Peace, Peace guys. I was telling Tom this before, but this is the beginning. This is the, the foundation of what I feel the, the next wave of deathcore is. It's instead of incorporating hardcore into death metal, it's incorporating slam into technical death metal. And so this is interesting. We're, and so we're seeing like I, I think in you know there's some there's a lot more talent and thought. You know I'm gonna go out and limb and say in those two genres that are coming out now. And just talking with these two guys, like it's apparent like this is smart music, you know. This is well thought out music, <laughs> but the next like combination thing that people are gonna start to hate when so many bands copy this is gonna be this mix of like slam and, and tech death and shit like that. Um, and and we're getting we're getting a, we're getting the first peek at it now. And it's, it's nice. It's, like we're saying, this is a great record, and there's 
Wormhole is the Alka-Seltzer tablet that is pure and will be dropped into the water of underground death metal and diffused into a million copycats, yep, like yeah, we've seen with so many other movements. But uh, exactly. Wormhole is the real deal. Yeah, man, it's, it's good. It's really good. <laughs> I think we just naturally did an outro to our interview with Wormhole. We don't even need to do a, a scripted outro like we normally do guys uh and pretend we like our guests and pretend everything went great because it did they're great guys we love the album and we're gonna give the listeners that candid outro right there uh tom feel free to edit but uh respectfully listen, yeah I- i've been jamming that wormhole album the weakest among us out now on lacerated enemy records on all platforms and streamers and all that shit blah 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 um constantly and I need something to break up this cycle that I got going of, of their last album. What do you guys got to recommend to me? Uh, very nice, very nice. I agree. Uh, and we need something to break it up. We don't want to yeah, tire. Yeah, I've been some listening to that up. album too much. You can't wear out the wormhole. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> hey, so uh, yeah. I got a, I got a quick new recommendation for you guys. I'd like to talk. Uh, oh, very, very, very briefly about the mm. band Ataudes. A-T-A-U-D-E-S from Buenos Aires, Argentina. Um, okay. Their their new record. Let's see. I am I am an ethic man. Merciamos la extinción. Uh, coming out uh, at the end of this month, May 2020. Um, we're talking about some very very solid uh, old school black and death metal here. Um, brand brand spanking new band. Uh, nobody's in anything. Nobody knows anything. Metalum's got nothing, right? Metalum's got very, very little. Uh, this is a uh, a two man project. Um, we have let's see, let's see these boys right here. We have uh, Jonathan Zarate uh, playing all the instruments, and Christian Viagres, uh doing the vocals here. Uh, this is just sol- solid, well-constructed, uh, old-school black and death metal. A little dissonant here, a little, uh, little doomy there. Um, if you're a fan, listen, we've talked about things like this before. Uh, this fits in that solid. It's, if we're bringing it on this podcast, you know it's worth listening to. Uh, Atau Des. Justin, uh, first of all, could you spell the band name for me sure. and for the listeners? That's A-T-A-U-D-E-S. From uh, from Argentina, right? Yes, from Buen- Buenos Aires, Argentina. From Buenos Aires, Argentina. Yeah, uh, Justin, I don't do this a lot on the podcast anymore because I didn't want it to lose effect. Mm-hmm. You have, in fact, recommended me a Medal of Death band, and Espanol, no less. Uh, yeah. And I, yeah, uh, this is cryptic, old Look school. Um, yeah, this is everything that I would have wanted it to be. This is Medal of Death. And uh, it made me realize, too, I have to expand my horizons a little bit. I have an issue. Maybe it's because I'm like a lyricist in most of my projects myself. Mm. When a band is speaking in a different language than the, the one I come to understand in life, English, uh, it makes it a little harder for me to get into over the years. Not just uh, Espanol, the Norwegian bands. the Swe- I mean, I listen to a little bit of everything. We're into death metal. It comes from all over the world. For sure. Uh, French, Italian, whatever you want to talk about, man. Um, Japanese. And um, sometimes, I don't know, man, for some people it doesn't matter one bit. For me, even though you can't understand the vocals most of the time, uh, if the lyrics are in a language I understand, which would be English, uh, it, it, it's more appealing to me. And I, and I wonder if, if that's because I'm the guy that's writing the lyrics in my band. Do you guys as guitarists, do you care about that? 
I honestly don't care at all. I mean, I, I, I've never really cared about that. I, I think of the voice as an instrument. Um, so mm-hmm. whether the, the words are important or not or whatever it is like that, that could have its own uh, value. But I, I just like the performance most of the time. Yes, I'm in. I'm in the same boat over there. Uh, if it has, if it has feeling, um, and uh, and a certain sort of genuineness, uh, I kind of don't don't worry about uh, the language barrier so much. But uh, I I've, I feel you will, and I don't think you're alone in, in that sentiment at all. Well, it's you know, and I often wonder if there's metalheads in other parts of the world that don't feel English-speaking bands for that reason. Uh, and the, you know what I mean? It's you know I'm not trying to judge anybody. It's just everybody looks for different things in music. Um, and takeaway: this band makes me want to uh, learn more Spanish, uh, so yeah. I can uh, try to translate the lyrics for myself. So yeah, good good recommendation. Uh, Medal of Death, muy bueno. Let's do it. I did not expect the Medal of Death seal of approval on this, but it makes complete sense, man. This is a this is the real deal. Bing bong. Most of you are probably familiar with this band, but um, uh, the band is Disavowed, band from Amsterdam, strong, strong brutal death metal band. Uh, I just want to talk briefly about their album, Perceptive Deception. That's 2001 on Unique Leader. I am recommending this because my attention was brought to that they have another album coming out, and they put out another single. Uh, the album is called Revocation of the Fallen. It's coming out July 31st, and they put out a song called The Enlightened One. I recommend checking it out, but um, it just reminded me of this older release of theirs. So the recommendation is for the old one, Perceptive Deception. Um, Super, super chunky, fast drums, something a little catchy happening with some of the trem picking parts. The vocals are absolutely relentless, just barking all the way through, super aggressive. The album never really slows down. It hangs out around like 260, 270 BPM the whole time. It is yep. just, you know, yes. the whole thing, uh, which I like. It's obnoxious, and I just like a good obnoxious release like that. Mm-hmm. Very similar to when I when we were talking to Sherwood and I brought in, in Hume. I guess that's just kind of what I'm into right now. I just want to hear shit that is relentless. And so this was tickling my fancy. Outside of Wormhole, obviously. But yeah, uh, the classic, classic release. I, I, I love it, man. I, I see a bunch of people on forums and stuff and on metal and comparing them to Suffocation. Like, And, okay, it's death metal, so you can compare any death metal band to Suffocation in a way. They kind of, like, helped invent so many of the elements of it. Uh, I think that they have a unique style of their own. They don't seem like a Suffocation ripoff. Uh, A lot of people were online talking about that. I I don't really agree. I see it, but, I mean, why are you thinking about it that way, you know? Just enjoy that (laughs) fucking tune. (laughs) Why are you thinking so hard? Stop thinking like that. Exactly. Why are you doing that? Stop being a dick. Um, <laughs> no, man. Uh, I, I was uh, Tom. You're bringing up some stuff lately. Uh, this disavowed. I I remember this. What year was this that this came out? 2001. Okay, yeah, 2001, man. And it's it plays right into. Um, we've brought up many times on the podcast 
uh, the late 90s brutal era of death metal, United Guttural, so on and so forth. You get to uh, unique leader records. Um, rest in peace to Eric Lindmark. And this is like your your uh, trademark unique trademark leader is- band. This is this is what they put out. You know what I mean? This is what you think about when you think about the early 2000s of death metal. If it wasn't brutal and slamming and guttural, it was it was this. And you know you could compare. Th- I, I I could see comparing this to suffocation, but I would say it's a little more relentless than suffocation. And that's not to put suffocation down, but suffocation specializes in the grooves and the breakdowns in the context of brutal death metal. Yeah. Whereas disavowed is just they they're nonstop pile driving you constantly. You know what I mean? Um, it's and it's that that's why I would feel like maybe more comfortable comparing it to Deeds of Flesh. I was just gonna say that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, this is yeah, this is really cool shit. I'm glad to hear they're still in the game and they're prepping some new material. That's awesome, man. And um, yeah, obviously, big recommendation. A band that I never owned this. I remember when it came out. I, I knew a lot of people who listened to it over the years, and I'm gonna go back and check it out. And when you, when you, when you brought it up, I was like, wow, that's right in line with the podcast. So check it out. Will, what do you got for us? Okay. Uh, listen, you guys, I've said it before. I'm not the most astute black metal um, cult uh, student, you know, in the game. I like certain black metal releases and everything like that, but I've always spent more time on the death metal and grindcore side of things. Um, but something that came across many moons ago, uh, my path, is Amsvartner, the Trollish Mirror EP. Uh, Amsvartner from Sweden. Uh, this was in 1997 that this was released, uh, and um, it's it's an interesting release. Uh, I'm a big fan of um, a lot of the older black metal releases, uh, particularly from Norway, where some of those bands were playing death metal uh, before they really took on that whole corpse production thing. And this Amsvartner, they are from Sweden, but they um, they hit a nerve for me where the black metal isn't total corpse production. You can hear a lot of what's going on, but it is raw, and it is well-written. And maybe these guys, uh, underneath it all, were a death metal band at heart because they went on, at least some members went on, to become Invader, which was a mellow death band from the late 90s, early 2000s. It's a little too melodic for me. Um, I'm not going to dip my foot into Invader. But this Amsvartner, they were around in the the early to, to, to late 90s, a little bit late on the second wave black metal thing, and from Sweden. Um, I don't know how this band hit for the black metal crowd, but for me, it hit just perfectly. Uh, Because, like I said, it's not total raw lo-fi corpse production, but it is kind of a raw take on your death metal-influenced black metal. Uh, And uh, particularly the bass work is really interesting and stands out. Another thing that's interesting for this band, just to wonder about, well, you know, what was going on with them. They were very young. Uh, There were two twins in the band, Albin and Alfred Johansson, as well as their older brother, Marcus Johansson. Uh, Some of those guys went on to be an invader, but uh, of the five-piece, three of them were brothers. Just another interesting thing to think about. And there's just a a weird, uh, almost like a singular vision to the songwriting, uh, an an approach to um, kind of progressive 
almost uh, technicality that you'd find more in death metal than in black metal at the time. And it's just something that I think really might hit home with the death metal people that want to peer into black metal a little more. I'm a big fan of like old obtained enslavement, um, you know, older Gorgoroth. Uh, and I, I look at some of these like uh, old death metal albums, Aeternus and things like that. The, the first Dark Throne album, Soul Side Journey. Not that this necessarily sounds like that, but I'm, I looked. I try to look at where death metal and black metal were before they got so widely divided. And this is an interesting EP to look at for that reason, I would imagine. And so check out this Ams Vartner, the Trollish Mirror EP, and tell me if I'm bugging. You know, <laughs> pretty interesting release. I. Uh Gave it a listen right before we started. Kind of reminds me of like a stripped down Kalma. Who? Kalma. I don't know if I know that band. Uh, K A L M A H. They're. Oh, Kalma, yeah. They're kind of like a more raw version of like Dimmuborg gear and shit. Yeah, yeah. So this is like even more stripped down than that, with you know, without being so corny. They used very silly synths and stuff in Kalma, so it was like the writing was similar, but it didn't have that silliness. Amos Vardner reminded me of like a black metal band that had like a more of a death metal musicianship going on, you know? I just don't understand this time period in black metal or what was going on in Europe with like in this mindset at all, you know? But I'm very interested in it, trying to like decipher, you know, these different bands or whatever. I think this is a very interesting release, you know, like coloring it uh, the way that you have. Yeah, and and what's funny is too, I I hope we include um, this conversation in the episode, Tom, because... I really didn't bring up it. It's from 97, which in the middle of the I like death metal influenced black metal before they all turned really black metal, that was in like 90. That was 90, 91 when all those guys were in right. death metal band, like, you know, Old Funeral and that type of stuff before they started Dark Throne and Gorgoroth and Immortal. Like, that's in the early 90s. This Trollish Mirror EP by Amsvartner is from 97, um, and it's, yeah, it, it is interesting how it... It captures more of a death metal influenced black metal, uh, you know, type of type of. I don't know, man. It's just an oddball EP from a little bit later on in the '90s and all that stuff. And um, looking back today, it's just kind of like okay. You know? And one more thing before we play this Amsvartner that we've been talking about, I appreciate the conversation, guys. At the top of the episode, I did allegedly tell you guys uh, I may or may not have dipped into true crime in my life, in my former life, oh, before my. I turned everything around. <laughs> Um, well, that, that's yeah, for the law to decide. People, there's people um, out there uh, who, I'm not going to say from Brooklyn, but there's people who've moved to Brooklyn to celebrate uh, the art galleries or whatever, who look down on me because I have uh, I, I have not completed a college education and I don't go to the same art galleries, allegedly. Um, but I did, in fact, attend college once upon a time, and I do have several college credits under my belt. And I was actually a DJ at uh, whatever it was, at SUNY Farmingdale, 2001, 2002. And I had a little show. I played Regurgitation. I played uh, I played a lot of shit. And they had, uh, they, that was the age, I don't know if this still goes on, but college radio stations were getting mailed lots and lots of promotional CDs from labels. And I allegedly pocketed this Ams Vartner, the Trollish Mirror CD, from SUNY Farmingdale radio station only to be used as a promotional piece. I did play it several times on my show, all right? And this is all alleged. This is allegations against me. It's not why I, it's not why I didn't get a college degree. <laughs> it's not why I dropped out, all right? It's a totally different That's story. That's a different podcast. Yeah, this, uh, this, this trollish, but, but I feel like it was the black metal thing to do, all right? It was crazy. So 
um, that may or may not be a true confession. It may be all part of this crazy Uncle Buck character I've created for the sake of the podcast. <laughs> I'll let the guys in legal sort it out, all right? But that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And just like I used to say on uh, uh, SUNY Farmingdale Radio, for the, the one guy sm- allegedly smoking weed out in the dorms out there listening to my <laughs> show, uh, here, here's Amsvartner with the Trollish Mirror. <laughs> God, that's Uncle <brilliant>. Promotion. <laughs> Okay, so shout to uh, Sunil and Sanjay Kumar, our guests this evening, the uh, two brothers responsible for the band Wormhole. Uh, we've said it enough. Genesis, uh, the first album, The Weakest Among Us, the second album, both on Last Raid Enemy Records. Look for those guys. Uh, good guys. I had a good conversation with them, I thought. Yeah, man. Pleasure. Absolute gentlemen. Uh, yeah, you guys recommended uh, some hot shit. I still feel like the repudiation slash afterbirth recommendation, man. He's trying. He's trying to cut in deep on the heavy hole podcast. He's fucking with you right now. He's trying to rib yeah. us. Yeah, it's, I texted him before. Us. They hacked us. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are all in on. I don't know who to trust. The only ones I trust right now are the listeners. All right. I don't even trust you guys anymore. But I do trust the listeners to log in to, to log on to heavyholepodcast.com. Uh, check us out on all your favorite social media platforms. Uh, call up that voicemail and leave us a voicemail. It's been a while since we got some voicemails, man. What are you guys doing out there? You're all quarantined up in the, in the house. Chat, shoot some voicemails. Do skits with your friends. Recommend albums. Yeah, talk why not? Talk about something that bothered you. Talk about something you like. Uh, talk about a metal rumor. I don't know. Let's get let's yeah. let's get crazy with it. Uh, leave us voicemails. But in the meantime, if you want a sticker pack, I don't know. I got to check in with marketing right now. Uh, Justin from marketing. Is there uh, allegedly some sort of discount code or something going on at the moment, or is that over with? So, continuing on for a limited time indefinitely, uh, you can get free shipping mm-hmm. on all heavy hole sticker packs. And listen, I'm getting wow. I'm getting kind of frustrated too. Like, or I'm not frustrated. I'm just getting bored. I might break these sticker packs up. You might have to uh, just buy individual stickers. But either way, whatever I decide to do, that's not going to affect you. All you gotta do a, is get a add the item to your cart. Yeah, if only. Add the item to your cart. When it asks you for a promo code, you just type in Chunky Riffs. Mm. It's easy. You could do it okay. with your fingers. You don't even need a pick. You don't even need a guitar. Whoa. You don't even need 12 gauge strings tuned down. Type in Chunky Riffs. Get yourself some free shipping. I'm gonna pay for it, and I'm gonna send the sticker back to you. But you gotta pay for the rest of it. You know what I'm saying? So, Chunky Riffs, heavyholepodcast.com slash shop. Keep an eye on that and on uh, at heavyholepodcast on the Instagram. We might be doing some uh, some fresh things eventually coming soon. Eventually. 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 That might be a word. Check it out. Yeah. It might be the next promo code. Who knows? But for now, it's that Chunky Riffs. Put in that promo code when you buy a sticker pack on heavyholepodcast.com. Guys, I covered everything, right? That's all we got to do, right? I think that's about uh, it. That's a solid episode. Okay. I would say so. Yeah, it's just I, like a certain number of things you forgot. Uh, yeah, one. One.